The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How do first class and the most successful organizations measure optimal performance? There are some companies that just do such a great job, and we're always in awe of those great companies. To discuss that with us, Brian Berry. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joel. It's an honor and privilege. Well, listen, you're a longtime friend. It's funny, just we are great friends. You gave me some such good advice about 10 years ago. I mean, really, really great business advice. And then, uh, I don't know, I forget what happened. For whatever reason, uh, we kind of fell out of touch and and recently we came back in touch. And I'm so glad to have you back in my life. So uh, thanks for being on the show and, and thanks for sharing what it is that you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So uh, first tell us, what is optimal performance? And that's kind of a, a vague word. What, what does that mean and what are we going to do with it? Sure. You know, one of my main roles, Joel, globally is to get a good look under the hood with boards, organizations, regardless of the shape and size, tech, biotech, entertainment, defense, retail, hospitality, family-owned business, garage band, startup companies, all the way to Fortune One. My role is to really get a good look under the hood as to what's happening with their people and what's happening with their processes. Those are the two areas. And identify any pathologies that are going on, anything that's going wrong, or it doesn't have to be bad, or just opportunities for improvement. And then, uh, you know, kind of compound the elixir, as they say, and put the IV in and uh, coordinate the performance improvements. So one of the things that we look for, Joel, is what's happening in both those areas. And it really boils down to it's either a people opportunity or challenge or process opportunity or challenge. And then we work on both of those. So, well, so tell me, tell me, you know, what are some of the patterns that you see? Because these companies must all be doing the same things over and over, even though they're all different companies. What are the common things that you see uh, going on over and over and over again? That's an astute question. So, you know, we deliver in over 90 countries and 30 languages. We get asked that all the time. What are the most common things? And boils down to two very, very clear elements. Boils down to attitude and communication. Process improvement is easy to fix when attitude and communication are in alignment. Joel, when attitude and communication are out of alignment, process improvement is darn near impossible. So we really focus in on those. One of the things that we key in, it's always the CEO 
that uh, is at the at the helm. So it's either you know out of control, operating mediocre, or really, really performing well. And we can almost tell at check-in uh, what's happening. There's a, there's an old Chinese proverb that says there's a a fish leads and a fish dies by the head. So it's always the CEO that we look for. You know what's happening there. And, and what are some of the traits? Uh, you know, like I would imagine that there there are CEOs who don't do anything about people, and there are CEOs mm-hmm. that actually have negative attitudes. So, I mean, I can think of at least two. What are some things? Sure. When we ask the question, you know, presidents, CEOs, business leaders, we'll ask this question: Okay, what's the most important asset in your organization? What What do they usually say? It's the what? Hopefully, it's the people. Yeah. You know, we've heard worse. Oh, it's our patent system. It's our logistics. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, I mean, it goes all over the place. So that's one of the indicators that we look for. But we always challenge them and when they say it's the people. And, you know, it's not just the people that's the most important asset. It's the untapped potential of the people. And people don't leave organizations generally, Joel. They leave bosses. And sometimes they quit, but they haven't left which means they are just draining, draining the profits. And uh, it boils down to the CEO. Quick story. You ever heard the phrase out to pasture? Yep. Yep. And, you know, when you think of that, you think of a, you know, racehorse, you know, for example, Affinity, the triple crown winner. gets put out to pasture and gets to roam free, no fences, beautiful, beautiful weather, no restrictions, gets fed the best barley and oats. That's a good scene. And an organization, it ain't that pretty. Out the passion in an organization is this, Joel. An employee or team gets to do whatever the hell they want without any ramifications whatsoever. And sadly, often get fed the best barley and oats. Now, the working horses see that. What are they thinking about the horse that gets to do whatever they want. What are some emotions? And so what happens? I mean, what, um, so, you know, just well, make, make it real. There's jealousy, there's resentment just with that horse. And then what are they thinking about the, the rancher, right? There's secret handshakes and all that and shows up right in the bottom line. So you're, so you're, so you're saying that the, um, the employees become resentful of that situation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There are three clear indicators to employee engagement. First one is, satisfaction with the immediate supervisor. Now think of how that's phrased. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for good old fashioned satisfaction. So satisfaction with the immediate supervisor is key. Second is belief in senior leadership. When the employees are seeing the senior leadership go one way and they're actually behaving another way, it's going to show up negatively right in the bottom line. So Immediate supervisor satisfaction, belief in senior leadership, and the third is pride in the organization, whether or not you know their values are, are like-minded. And we can tell with those three areas the direct issue in an organization, and it always starts with the CEO. So you get some CEOs that are very hands-off, and they just kind of step back, and they kind of hope to God things work out. They're not working out at all. And... Uh, you know, that shows up in performance, absenteeism, uh, hiring. And here's a bold statement. A good organization that is operating well, very successful, should never, ever, ever have to recruit. And I'm going to repeat that. An organization that's operating successfully 
should never, ever have to recruit. They should have talent, the best talent clamoring to get in there. And how does that happen? Does it happen by by referrals? Is that happening by? It happens by the employees. The employees are, you know, experts in their own sector, their own field, their own scope of responsibility, and word gets out. You know, particularly now with the speed and the veracity of social media, that word gets out and uh, should never really have to recruit. You've got the best talent coming after the best companies. So talk about, you know, increasing momentum. If you've already Mm -hmm. got a great company and you're getting even better talent, that just keeps the wheels, you know, spinning faster and faster. And and, and I imagine the opposite is true too. And then then those companies grind to a halt. I mean, ultimately, if they're doing poorly, they get worse and worse talent. And and it it, it just kind of implodes after a while. You're absolutely spot on. That is very, very well said. And, uh, you know, we can tell pretty quick. So if uh, there's no staying the same, and, you know, you've heard that phrase. Yep. That's the way we've always done it. What's, what's wrong with that, Joel? Everything. Oh, yeah. Would you ever go to a physician that said that? <laughs> no, I don't think. No, I don't think you that, uh, let me tell you something. I, I think if a doctor said that, uh, you know, we would get up and we would leave. Totally, totally, exactly. I mean, you want somebody with practice hands, of course, but you want somebody with the cutting edge stuff. And Bo Schembechler, the old coach from University of Michigan, once said, hey, there is no staying the same. You're either progressing or regressing. And that's the key. So companies that are doing really, really well utilize us to make sure that they keep growing, that they don't lose an edge, and uh, you know they're gaining the right talent. Now, here's an interesting story. I was with an, uh, an aerospace company in the uh, San Fernando Valley. I was working with their board. The board of directors happened to be, uh, there were about 18 of them. They were all 70-year-old and older, what we call the traditionalists uh, in terms of generations, 70 and older. Big buck, highly paid board of directors. And their company was tanking, going the wrong direction. And... Each of these board of directors, Joel, not one of them could cite the company's vision, mission, and values. Not one. Yet they gladly cashed the checks. And take it further, they're blaming poor performance off of the new hires. I said, really? Okay, well, what's wrong? Well, lack of integrity, lack of work ethic, uh, easily distracted with technology, entitlement, da-da-da-da-da. So, okay. So I did a little research on their board minutes to find out what was really going on with the culture. And reading through the minutes, I'm hearing from the hiring manager, same complaints, whining about the poor performance, specifically related to the new hires. Poor attitude, easily distracted with technology, entitlement, da-da-da-da-da-da. You know what the date of the minutes was? What? 1971. Oh, my God. Oh, my. All right. Mark Twain once said, Joel, history does not repeat itself. It sure does rhyme. Now, here's what's key. Peter F. Drucker, the founder of all org design, and a great quote, he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. You can, you can have all the metrics in the world, and all the you know, Six Sigma, Lean, everything. That means squat, unless the culture is uh, solid. You know, what so you have different cultures, too. I want to go back for a second to what you said about uh, we've always done it this way, because... You know, that analogy about going to the doctor's office is a really good one because that's medicine has changed a lot in the last 75 years. I, I mean, oh my God, probably, five. Like, like, it's probably like unbelievable. 
they went from not having any anesthesia or really poor anesthesia 75 years ago to now that they can, they can do all kind of great things. But if they would say, hey, listen, we've always done it this way and we're not going to improve. So that attitude really is an innovation killer more than anything. You're absolutely correct. You know, wow. you, always, and you know the difference between innovation and creation. Creation is something from nothing. Brand spanking new. Innovation is taking stuff that's all around us making it more efficient. That's what you're looking for. And you want a very, very good talent pool. So one of the boards I sit on is the uh, Caltech Entrepreneur Forum and startup companies, you know, and you've done it. Uh, you know, you go after family and friends for money first. And what happens is you usually drag those individuals on your team and they're not the right people and you're stuck with them. You know, after two years, you got your brother-in-law and you got your sister, you know, now on the company expecting a turnaround. They're not the right people. So, you know, you got to make sure that you have what we call a signature. Now, here's a picture for you, Joel. There are five generations in the workforce, five now. Traditionalists, those are 70 and older. Baby boomers like me, and we're the knuckleheads that think we could do it well. We usually goof it up. But we got a smoking soundtrack, don't we? Best rock and roll ever, right? And then you have the X and Y generation. Those are the least number of bodies out there. Globally, it's causing a major gap for that manager and next, uh, next leader. There's just not enough bodies. because Their parents all got divorced, quit having kids. Just not enough of them. And then you have the millennials. You hear a lot about that. Okay, And they're actually the old timers now. The newest generation... Some call it Generation Z, which is pretty depressing because there's nothing after Z. The proper term globally is called the media generation. Those are the ones that have never operated without a device in their hand. Now, years ago, back when we, you and I met, uh, I got invited to be the president of the National Human Resources Association. Now, I'm not an HR guy by trade. I know how to do all that stuff. But what I do know is how to find people way, way, way smarter than me, <laughs> which is not hard. Uh, those are everywhere and bring them and bring them onto the team. So quick story, you know, we used to go to all these lectures and workshops and how to deal with multi-generational workforces. And truth be told, we walk out of there with a headache, sweating with no answers until this one presenter of mine uh, named Tammy Erickson was from Hobbit. And she asked the question, you know, we had 300 thought leaders in the room, Wharton, Cornelian, everyone's in there. She asked the question, she goes, okay, how many are aware of the top 50 best places to work awards? Boom, all the hands went up. You know, Newsweek and Forbes, you've seen them all. And uh, so hands went up. She goes, now imagine working for a company where the first 90 days of probation are really in your face, very intense. It's a competitive environment if you screw up your can. And I'm a big audience watch. I look at the audience and a third of the audience, Joel, just goes, oh my God, good, good, yeah. Another third went, eh, whatever. Didn't really react. Another third went, yeah, baby, likey. I'm thinking, wow, that's weird. Then she said, now imagine working for a company where the first 90 days of probation are all cross-functional trained. So every employee is going to learn finance and operations and logistics and customer service, da-da-da-da-da-da. And then when you're hired, because we will hire you, you're going to have a mentor that will be side by side with you to make sure that you don't stumble. So I'm looking at the audience again. A third of the audience just goes, eh. Another third goes, yeah, whatever. Another third goes, yeah. And they all equally switched. I thought, whoa. She goes, now imagine working for a company where the first 90 days of probation and whether or not you're hired is not a selection of 
your management. It's a selection of your team. Boom, boom, boom. Same reactions. They all shifted third, third, third. And then she went click, click, click. And up on the screens, Joel, were logos of three companies in each of those categories. The in-your-face intense one, the Goldilocks middle one, cross-functional trained, and then the team one. I remember the team one, Joel, at that time was Whole Foods because they had a very, very uh, team approach. Now, take this further, Joel, and this gets right into this. She said the way they were doing it, she goes, an interesting stat, each of these companies, three different cultures, all had a less than 3% attrition rate. 3%, that's anemic. So what, so what that says to me is that they're finding the people that like the style of that company. Bingo, you hit it right bullseye, no pun intended, brother, bullseye. And she said each of these companies had a less than 3% attrition rate, which meant they attracted the best talent. Each of them had a balanced representation of five generations, traditionalist, baby boomer, X and Y, millennial, and the media generation. Each of them had a balanced representation of male and female. And she said the reason they were able to do this is exactly what you just cited. Each one of them had what's called a signature as to how they were going to operate. You know, like Margaret Thatcher said to George Bush, don't waffle, Georgie. So don't say you're one thing and throw a head fake on everybody else, which means stick to your signature on how you're going to operate, how you're going to roll, because there's something for everybody out there. You just got to be clear in the communication. Remember Quintilian once said, Joel, and many leaders have borrowed this quote over the years. And he said, you know, I'm not interested in communication that's understood. They went, what? Don't you think that's a little important? He said it again. I'm not interested in communication that's understood. He says, I am interested in communication that's never misunderstood. And there is a big, big delta there. So yeah. successful companies they, just, have just, a clear, listen, strong signal. That, that's really important. Say that again, just because that is a really important uh, thing to understand. That's right. Yeah. So Quintilian's quote was, I'm not interested in communication that's understood. I am interested in communication that is never misunderstood. You know, Bill Gates in his in one of his books in the past said he didn't ask his department heads to uh, make a report on everything that was going great. He always focused on what was broken. And, and that's exactly what that quote says is mm-hmm. let's focus on the broken stuff. Yes, right. He said, we'll learn more by our customers that we've dropped the ball on than we will our successful on how to grow. And that's the mindset. Always tuning up. Always. Let me go back. Yeah, go ahead. So you got these three different companies with three different cultures, three different styles, three different whatever. Uh, They're all performing well. Are Are they top performers in their industries? I mean, so is there a certain bias to a certain style? that delivers more optimal performance than another style? Because, you know, what? here, listen, this whole show is about the inside track. We're always looking mm-hmm. for the best, fastest, smartest way to get something done. Is there a mm-hmm. better style? Is there a way to get on the inside track by using the style or the style? As long as you have a style, it doesn't matter which style it is. It's B. And thank you for those two options there. And no matter if it's, again, no matter if it's tech Biotech, entertainment, defense, retail, hospitality, food, healthcare. It doesn't matter. Just have a signature. We get asked that all the time. You know, does, you know, Department of Defense, does aerospace have a certain culture? Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. They tend to be, you know, there's, there's some organizations that have to have, believe it or not, 
perfection or people will, people will die. So having, you know, that, that type of integrity, what it does, it boils down to the vision, mission, and values, which is not a corny, fuzzy-wuzzy, kumbaya thing. The vision is a clear description of what we're going to look like operating well. The mission is how we're going to do it. The values are how we're going to roll by doing it. What attributes are we demonstrating? You know, integrity, resourcefulness, customer service, things like that. So that's going back to that board. I was telling you about, we focus right in on recrafting the vision, mission, and values. And uh, also, we got rid of the non-performers. And, you know, when we ask the question, I'll ask you this, Joel, you know, who's the only person we need to be micromanaging? Ourselves. Absolutely. So when I go into an organization, Joel, one of the first lists I look for, and I'll ask it right up front, please provide a list of all your micromanagers. The point is, if somebody's micromanaging somebody else, one of you isn't needed. It's the micromanager. So you got to be able to, regardless of the culture and the tempo, you have to empower people to do what they're they're brought in to do. And uh, that's the common link. That's the inside scoop, okay, is define the performance first, then the performer will reveal themselves, not the reverse. So make sure that performance is described in King's English on how it's going to look operating well with clear, measurable standards and no fuzzy-wuzzy miscommunication. Oh, I thought you said January. I thought you meant 17 mil. You got to make sure that that's absolutely rock solid there. So that's that's probably the best inside scoop. Listen, those are communication skills. I mean, some people really don't have great communication skills. And for whatever reason, there are just some people who aren't thinking about how their words are being received. They're only worried about how they're being delivered. You know, they're, they're, and, and I think in the transmission process, we have to be a little worried about how things are being received. Oh, Joel, you just hit a nugget there. The two most elusive sought after attributes of an individual in a leadership or management position are these. Now, notice how I just said that. I didn't say leader or manager. I said those and those positions because there are people in those positions, both leadership and management, they're not very good at it doesn't make them a leader or manager. The two most precious sought-after attributes are exactly what you just described. It's self-awareness and accountability. Self-awareness. Most have no clue what's being said about them when they leave a meeting. Everybody thinks I'm a genius. Oh, not quite the case there, Brian, right? And then the accountability. Yeah. Oh, that's hard, hard, to, uh, hard to be outstanding in anything if you really don't have any, any self-awareness. I mean, that's for sure. So Yeah, self-awareness and accountability. Yeah. Well, listen, let's start to wrap up here. Are there any rules or guidelines that might help companies to perform better, uh, increase their employee engagement and increase their relationships with their people? Uh, Really, because we're talking here really about senior leadership in these companies. What are some things they can do better? Sure, sure. Two categories. Leadership and management are two very reverent bodies of work that are nice wine pairings, but they are two very, very separate bodies of work. Leaders lead people, managers lead processes. And with leadership, people support a world they help create. Nobody wants a dictatorship. And in management, managers lead processes that make them look good. So the best tips are getting your employees locked in and give them ownership in their role and function. There's an old phrase, let the janitor select the broom. 
That's the difference between an engaged, successful company and a dictatorship. That's that's the first tip. Second tip is have a clear, clear, well-communicated vision, mission, and values. In review, the vision is what the organization, the department, the division looks like when it's operating well strategically a year out. That's the Monet, Rembrandt, Van Gogh painting of what it looks like. The mission is exactly how we're going to do it. Often those get switched around. The values are how we're going to roll. What character attributes are others saying about you? Not what you say about you. What are others that are impacted by you saying about you, right? Remember that that old question, tell us about your strengths and weaknesses? Yeah. Yeah, if you ever hear that in an interview run, because that kind of went out in the 70s, but it still kind of floats around. (laughs) When Lincoln was asked that, when he was running for office, wouldn't you agree when you get asked, hey, tell us about your strengths. It gets a little awkward. Like, how do you do that without sounding boastful or braggy? When Lincoln was asked that question, he responded this way, Joel. He said, the others have described me as A, B, and C. Oh, yeah. Think about that. It's, it's polite. It's courteous. It's also third-party evidence-based. Somebody else is saying so other than us. Now, the weakness question can funk with our attitude. All right. It could be a reason for not partnering, uh, not collaborating, not getting hired, all those things. So Lincoln responded this way. So the three things I intend to tune up my first quarter in office are one, two, and three. And he used the word intent, not I'd like to, or if rainbows and unicorns appear. Intent is a very, very powerful word. In fact, Benjamin Franklin once said that the word if stands for IF, which stands for instant failure. So you got to be bold. So have that vision, mission, and values on how we're going to roll. Okay? I love that. Have that signature so there's no miscommunication. And the third tip is hire for attitude and train for skill. Because you can't train attitude. We'll pound the training in India. Hire for attitude and train for skill. Yeah, you know, that's probably uh, that's probably a tough one to exercise really good self-control to pull that off. But you know what? I, I just totally agree with that 100%. So I, listen, man, those things, um, you do that, you got the inside track to some good engagement and, and really uh, running a good company. How many companies do you Absolutely. see those kind of things? Um, fortunately, quite a few. We've got uh, many, many success stories out there that are just rocking. You know, and it starts, Joel, with the CEO. We can tell the health of an organization by how high up the leadership actually engages in in our training. You know, we'll sometimes get a president or CEO and they'll say, hey, Brian, take care of sales and operations and logistics. They need this and they get up and they start to walk away. First thing I do is, hey, you know, hey, this is you. It starts with you. So the healthy organizations are the ones that have the strong leaders because and growing up in Detroit, we used to call that street cred. And employees' BS detectors are on high right now. They'll know whether or not the senior leadership is actually practicing what they're preaching. So that's that's mission critical. Yeah, Make sure that the CEOs are, are doing this, not just saying, well, I, I took that years ago. I've done all this. We look for good, continual leaders. And uh, we've got dozens of success stories. So well, listen, man, that, all, that, all like, that sounds like the inside track to the kind of success that companies want. So uh, thank you very much for sharing. We're going to put your contact information in the show notes. So if people want to find you, uh, Brian, you're, you're a fine person. Uh, you know, I really, I appreciate the relationship that we have and how you've supported me. And, and if you can help some other companies, uh, I am sure you would do just a brilliant job for them. Thank you so much, Joel. And keep up the good work. You're impacting a, a ton of lives. 
So well, thank keep you very doing much. what you're doing, brother. All yeah. right, man. Listen, uh, thanks for being on the show. Sounds good, Joel. Thanks again. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.